Okay, welcome back to another edition of Something for the People. I'm your host, B. Smooth, and today my illustrious guest is Daniel Heinegger, my brother. I didn't grow up with any brothers, so as I got older, I gained a whole bunch of brothers, so welcome out the brothers. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Yeah, how, how you doing, Dan? I'm doing all right. Living, maintaining, climbing. You know, day to day. All right, so usually we just start off from the beginning. So let's start off, you know, where you were born, about family life. Let's get into that. Oh, you want my quick recap? Okay. So um, I was born in the western suburbs of uh, Chicago in Downers Grove. And um, so I lived in my little uh, isolated white bubble out there. And... Um, no, I, I had a you know a conservative upbringing, um, and you know living in my bubble, there was very few things that I was exposed to, and uh, then you know uh, my undergrad happened. Um, went to College of DuPage in Glen Ellen for uh, associates there. Uh, met some outstanding professors and human beings over there. Some of which I'm still friends with to today, uh, 14 years later. And, um, you know, I went from there and, I, you know, I just kind of got exposed to the world around me, you know, um, through a lot of volunteer work and some jobs I had. Uh, I kind of fell into the world of youth development and, um, you know, youth work that I'm in now. Um, total different track from where I started, though. You know, I went into uh, my undergrad wanting to be in business. You know, I, I had a girlfriend at the time who had a, a family rib shack, and, uh, you know, I loved of the <laughs> Yeah, no, man, the food, oh, my goodness. Homemade soul food, ribs on ribs on ribs, man. It was great. So, no, I just kind of fell into it. You know, I, I, I think um combination of uh, too much television and uh, certain people I met along the way, I actually was full force going into the FBI initially. Uh, once I found out that I'm terrible at math and a business degree wasn't going to suit me, uh, I got fascinated with human behavior, you know, and, uh, you know, explaining people, actions, behavior. So I kind of went on that path, but everything I did along the way, um, you know, I was a high school football coach for four years. Uh, where I went, Downers Grove South. Um, I was a personal caregiver for a couple families uh, for their children with autism. So I was a one-on-one -on -one caregiver doing, you know, phonics and sign language and socializing them and things, and that was amazing. I worked at um, Hesed House in Aurora, which is a homeless shelter, so I was uh, volunteering there a couple days. And then I got through, uh, I got through, uh, Another organization called Brian House out in Aurora, and they were kind of like a halfway house helping uh, refugees settle into the states uh, with free housing, resources, and everything. So I found myself working with a lot of, you know, under-resourced and marginalized groups of people, um, and I just fell in love with that process, so I fell in love with, you know, just being there, providing uh, support for people, and... Um, I learned so much, you know, from the, the family of refugees was from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and um, that was amazing. I still stay in touch with a, a few of them, 
um, but just the the idea of being with young people in need. Um, <clears throat> you know, even as a coach, I looked like I was still in high school years ago. So the kids, <laughs> you know, you're school, no, you have, you're the youngest looking guy I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I look like I was like a sophomore in high school as a coach at like 19, 20 years old. I had to prove that I was a coach with my shirt and stuff to get on the field sometimes with security. But, you know, I think it was, you know, that I looked young and I had a different approach to, you know, coaching that the kids kind of opened up to me about stuff. So my first week in summer camp on the job as a coach, I had a kid come up to me and he said that he wanted to kill himself. And that just kind of opened up my, my mind to, you know, even these – these kids out in the burbs, you know, there's everything that they're they're sorting through day to day with mental health and the lack of resources. So, um, even though my mind was on, you know, uh, criminology and and you know being a behavioral analyst and stuff with the FBI, um, little did I know I was going to go down a whole nother path working with youth in the city. So, little by little, my internship and my grad school, you know, they they placed me. Um, with a nonprofit organization, and you know, I stayed there for over seven years. You're familiar with them, and uh, that just uh, that just you know opened up my whole world, you know, uh, and it, it became just my identity, and it became you know something that um, fulfilled my life, and uh, and I happened to be kind of good at it, you know, and uh, so that's where I'm at. Same world. <laughs> Let's, let's take it back to the language. Tell me about growing up in Donna's Grove. Talk about Donna's Grove? Yeah, okay. Um, well, you know, uh, I got a, you know, I have, I have great parents, uh, always supported supported me and, and the best way they knew. And, um, you know, growing up, I was, my social skills were lacking. You know, I was the third of six kids, uh, so we had a big family of eight. Uh, I was blessed to have both my parents in my life, and they're still in my life. Um, so we had all the basics covered. My dad was a hard worker. You know, he worked every day. When he got home, he worked again in the garage. You know, he restored classic cars and things. And my mom is just an outstanding human being, very generous, really hospitable, Never believed any of my friends that they weren't, you know, thirsty or hungry. So I just told them to accept what she offered, and I'll let the dog eat it, or I'll hide it and eat it later, or whatever. So um, you know, I learned I learned a lot from my parents, you know. And my grandfather was a big role model to me. My father's father. Um, yeah, you know, you I. You say again. You talk about your relationship with your grandfather because I know you always talk about how much he was a big influence he was on your life. Oh, I've mentioned him before, huh? Man, you know what? Uh, even in school, you know, I I wrote a report on my personal hero, and that was my grandfather. He was just this um, really humble, down to earth man. You know, large in stature. Um, gentle gentle as a lamb but uh you know his his life story and and what he went through and you know he provided at uh you know what 11 12 years old for his big family i think he had seven siblings and his father passed so you know he did everything he could to support his mother and his siblings even his older siblings 
Um, but just how he was as a person, you know, he was just loving towards any, everybody, anyone he met. And, uh, you know, real, real chivalrous man. I, I, I never saw my grandmother open up a door, car door, door to the house with him around. She would actually wait with her hands, you know, you know, folded in front of a door and he would run up and open it for her, you know. And, <laughs> you know, he, he was a man of God, you know, he was, uh, you know, he had uh, his beliefs and his values that he that he lived by and um, anything, you know, he wouldn't compromise anything with his values and beliefs, but, um, you know, he would just accept people, he would love on them, he would, uh, you know, share his faith with them. Um, and just, you know, bring a, a beam of light wherever he went. And years after he passed, he passed, it, uh, he passed uh, seven years ago in 2012, um, almost eight years now. And um, he, uh, my grandmother had people calling for years after he passed. This one chance encounter they had with him, they made sure she knew the impact that he had on their life. So... Um, he wasn't someone who sat me down and said, this is what you got to do. He just did it, and I saw him do it and wanted to be him, you know. Great. Great. I'm great. Because I know you, you always talk about that, bro. You, 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 uh, you, always, whatever, you always mention your grandfather. And I just, I to okay, so what was your relationship like? Because I only have one sibling, so what is it like having, like, five other siblings? And then the and, um, you know, thankfully, you know, we get along, you know, we, we, uh, we're all about a couple years apart. And then my youngest, uh, sister, she's about seven years from, uh, the next youngest. But, um, you know, all of us are in the Chicagoland area. I'm only one in the city. Um, uh, and then I have, uh, one sister that got married and moved out, uh, to Colorado. So um, I have three married siblings, um, two oldest, each have three kids, and my sister in Colorado has one. So I love that uncle role. You know, that, that's uh, you know, if there's if there's a consistent joy in my life, it's the it's the nephews and my niece. You know, uncle to seven keeps me busy. Most weekends I'm babysitting. <laughs> so. That's a lot, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, uh, tell me, what was like, uh, you talk about Donna's Grove High School, what was it like there? Uh, DGS. Um, it was a good school. It was a big school. I, you know, I, I graduated with a class of about eight or 900 kids. Uh, oh, we were in, yeah, we were in 8A school, and, um, you know, I, I played uh, football growing up, so peewee football in the four years of high school. And um, athletics was a way to compensate for my lack of social skills, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, uh, I was good at football. I ran track in high school, you know. I was, you know, all conference and stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it, it made friends for me, you know. Uh, it spoke for me. I didn't, I didn't have to do much but, uh, you know, perform uh, on the field and on the track and, uh, you know, I was uh, a pretty shy guy, so as much popularity as I might have had in high school, uh, man, I would turn redder than, you know, I'd blend into a red wall if a girl looked at me or talked to me or something, you know. <laughs> Didn't know what to do with all that. You know, I was kind of a late bloomer. 
But down or south, it was good. You know, I learned a lot through sports, you know, the structure, the discipline. Um, and, you know, it was a real privilege to go back and, and, and coach. You know, there's a lot of kids that I coached back in the day that I still stay in touch with. And uh, it was just a good experience, you know, to pass on knowledge and connect with people, kind of be what I needed, you know, when I was young, you know, when I returned the favor as a coach. Uh, um, but DGS, it was a good, it was a good school. Um, got a pretty decent education there, and uh, I even made friends with some teachers there. Um, so it was, uh, it was nice. It was, uh, I mean, as far as like you know, it was, it was, it was pretty diverse. I would say, you know, down or south, uh, being in a white suburb, you know, there was, you know, I had, uh, you know, some friends too that. You know, didn't look like me, act like me, talk like me, and uh, you know that was uh, it was good exposure. But it was um, you know it was the, it was the burbs still. You know, there's still a lot of stuff happening. Um, you know, most of the things that I experienced or saw friends experience, I, I was kind of uh, naive to you know the structures that were set in place and you know the uh, <clears throat> you know experiences that some of my friends had. You know, even in you know found myself kind of joining in on some of the stuff, you know, unbeknownst to me what it was doing to, to people to listen to say, uh, oh, you're not really black because of how you talk and dress, you know, that was said to some friends of mine or, you know, it was, <laughs> it was a, you know, kind of ignorant uh, community to a lot of stuff. Um, but I think we all have a, you know, most, most communities out there verbs are, you know, lack of exposure and lack of experience produces ignorance and, um, you know, that's definitely a lot that I, I absorbed and I was able to kind of break down and understand later in life. So. After you move on to the Cosby page, so what is it like going to the Cosby page? College of DuPage, <laughs> I, uh, I used to think it was just high school with smoking breaks. Um, there were so many kids that I went to school with in high school that ended up at College of DuPage. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it's a much different place now than it was. I think when I left, they built another five buildings and everything. But when I went to COD, um, College of Page, you know, I had a, a friend from high school that went there. And, uh, you know, he's still a good friend of mine today. But um, I got introduced to a lot right away at COD. Um, I got involved in an organization um, through my friend, uh, Devin. And what happened was one day I was walking around campus and I see him, you know, walking around in a suit and tie. And he's an athletic guy. I, I don't think I ever saw him wear that except maybe homecoming or prom or something. So I was like, uh, you know, what, what are you dressed up for? Because he was around a bunch of other guys uh, all dressed up at the Multicultural Center. And they're like, oh, we're part of this organization. Uh, it's called SOB, Student African American Brotherhood. And we just kind of lift each other up, try and push each other, you know, help each other, you know, get to the next thing in life. Uh, we got a lot of resources, you know, we kind of make sure we're all going to classes and taking the right things and so on and so forth. And uh, Miss Julia and Miss Christina were two of the uh, staff working at uh, the Multicultural Center. 
So anyways, they're like, uh, my friend's like, why don't you come through for one of our meetings? Just kind of see what we're all about. And I liked it. I liked the vibe. I liked the instant, like, connection that I had with the guys there and everything. Um, but they started talking to me and getting to know me a little bit. And I started hanging around them, you know, at the Multicultural Center. And then all of a sudden, the discussion was kind of brought up on, on me kind of joining their organization. And... That was all cool, but I, I felt like uh, I wasn't maybe their target <laughs> demographic, being <laughs> a sob. You know, white boy from the burbs, a lot of these guys are, you know, from parts of the city and, uh, you know, commuting to COD as I was, but, uh, you know, I got to know them. We all started getting along, and uh, I was the first member um, that wasn't a person of color in their national organization, SAB. It was founded by Dr. Tyrone Bledsoe in uh, Toledo, Ohio. But they were a chapter. Um, and actually, you know, I, uh, I ended up being a big part of that chapter. I was, uh, I was a secretary for a year, and I was VP for a year. And we transferred that chapter over to North Central College, where I transferred to. Uh, I went to a bunch of speaking engagements, and uh, um, I was buddies with uh, Dr. Bloodsoe, the founder, and uh, he always got a kick out of me being on a discussion panel for Saab uh, at these universities and stuff that we go and speak at, and he's like, hey, man, just get ready. You're going to get some looks, and you're going to get a lot of questions. <laughs> he's like, this is going to be the year where I introduce a brother-to-brother -brother initiative, trying to get... Uh, brown and white involved too. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And I was, uh, my, my cheesy little uh, ass was on the website too for a while, homepage. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, you know, it was, uh, yeah, they tried to get a little diversity in it. And, you know, we, uh, we tried to make it work the best we could. Um, Naperville were, is where I transferred to North Central College to complete my undergrad. And they weren't as welcoming to our organization there. Um, it just kind of plays into the, the suburbs and their whole uh, mindset. But I've noticed that like there are a lot of like uh, like black or even like Latino organizations, they're very welcoming to Diversity, so of bringing like white guys in or bringing like white girls into like black sororities, but the other way around doesn't seem to work. I don't know. Do you think that it's like uh, just like ignorance or? Yeah, I don't know. Well, why why some predominantly black or brown organizations or fraternities are? It seems more. It seems more welcoming. Like if a white guy wanted to join, then like. Other way around, like and the white organization joining yeah. some. Um, no, I, I, I'm not. I'm not going to speak for uh, white people on that. Um, I think it is. Uh, I think it is an ignorance thing. Um, I think it's uh, a lack of exposure. I think there's a lot of things there, but um, you know, for for me, even you know, being a part of you know a, a space that is, you know, supporting or, um, you know, including um, 
people from the community is predominantly black or brown. You know, I, I love it when love it when I'm able to be welcomed in, you know. Um, but it it's always been something that I've I I've had to, you know, keep in the forefront of my mind in the work that I do. You know, I, I, I tend to stand out in the organizations I'm a part of and the communities that I, I, I serve. And um, it's not usually just, uh, you know, ignorance or something that, that is plain. It's, it's experience, you know. When I was working for a large nonprofit, um, I was introduced early on in my career why um, I didn't really receive a warm welcome. You know, I was uh, in a school-based program and my role was just to work with the youth that were in school during the school hours. Um, but seeing that there was a greater need and, and that most difficulties for these young, young men that I was working with happened after school hours and weekends. So my mindset was, you know, we got to do something more. I got to find something more um, when I'm not present. You know, I'm a support when I'm present, but these kids need me while I'm not there. So I started getting involved in the community. Um, I, most of my years was in South Lawndale in Little Village. It was predominantly um, Mexican um, families, uh, Hispanic families, and um, you know, being a white boy that was bi uh, not bilingual, um, you know, it was, there's some <laughs> challenges. <laughs> but um, you know, I went uh, to a lot of community meetings, and I was trying to get familiar with the organizations to introduce my kids to them and everything. Um, but I remember introducing myself at a, it's a violence prevention uh, coalition I, I started being a part of. And I remember um, feeling really invisible. And then I remember feeling that um, just this cold shoulder type of feeling from the people in the room. And... Uh, out of the kindness of uh, someone's heart that witnessed me in the situation, uh, she invited me to her office after that meeting, and she's like, "You know, I just want to get to know you. You seem like, uh, you know, you're trying to get involved here, and I just, you know, why don't you come by my office? We'll get to know each other." So uh, I told her, you know, quick life, uh, you know, sequence of events that led me to what I was doing then, and. Uh, She's like, well, it seems like your heart's in the right place, but just let me kind of educate you around why you might not be so well received. And um, it was basically just experience from the community. You know, it was a very close-knit community with a lot of resources, but they had a lot of bad experiences with outside organizations coming into the community. And... Um, just using them, using them for um, data collection and access to grants, and then they would just disappear. And unbeknownst to me, my organization was one of those that had done that before, so I had that reputation that I was representing, um, and my white male non-bilingual self uh, was also um, looked at with um, uncertainty. So just having that in the forefront of my, my, my brain moving forward and learning how to kind of navigate uh, community 
um, it changed everything for me. And it was because this one person took the time to get to know me, knew my heart was in the right place, but then educated me around my presence and what I represented there. So, you know, long answer to a question I didn't even answer. Um, but um, speaking from a different perspective, but, you know, your question of why predominantly white organizations and stuff, you know, not as open to people of color, um, I don't know. And an organization like that, I don't even want to be affiliated with, so. Yeah, yeah I think it's like you, it's just, it's, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like the, I guess the human condition. We don't know other people's motives, but we wish they had better motives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think some groups of people have their mind made up, um, but that's fed through, um, I think, inaccurate information and dated uh, knowledge and dated uh, mindsets and very um, closed, closed hearts and minds, you know, whereas I think organizations or in, in communities, uh, predominantly people of color, there is a, you know, there's a lot of history there of, of, of oppression and exclusion and, and um, these experiences that you know they people have gone through, and I think they're more open-minded to other people, you know, to maybe be more inclusive. Um, but a community of people is made up of everyone that is present in that community, you know. And for me, you know, I've I've lived in a lot of different places in Chicago, from uh, Little Italy to uh, West Eldston over by Midway. Uh, Pilsen and now Auburn Gresham. So, um, you know, I my my reason for being here is is you know I, I want to be where my kids are at. I want to be where I serve. You know, my last uh, my last uh, role that I had was uh, consulting with a nonprofit in Inglewood, and that was just up the street from where I'm at. You know. And uh, I like the closeness. I like being able to relate and experience and, 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 and be accessible, you know, not just over the phone, but in person. You spent seven years working in the uh, Little Village area. What is something about the Little Village area that people don't know about Little Village that they should know? You know, um, like most communities, they're they're known for the negative. They're known for the violence and the drugs and um, you know crime and and for all the years I was at Little Village, yeah, there was definitely a lot of those things happening. But definitely, what was predominant in the in the community was was real positive. You know. I had a lot of my youth were being interviewed by different media sources and stuff over the years I was there. And I had this eighth grader that came up to me and he's like, look, I know we got this media person coming in tomorrow, but I'm tired of talking about all the negative. Uh, we need to start promoting what's happening in our neighborhood for real. We need to start talking about what we really need to do, what uh, we need, and, and all the great things that are happening. Little Village, I mean, it was um, a lot of a lot of families, you know, a lot of kids on the on the street, a lot of strollers. Um, you know, I was working with uh, families when I was in the schools, and 
there would be, you know, two or three kids in, in high school at the same time, different grades. Um, but it was just much more family-oriented than, than what anyone would ever really, you know, want to promote in the news or, or things like that. So there's just this really close-knit community where everybody knew everybody else. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the gangs also divided uh, Little Village uh, east and west. So we had the Latin Kings and the Two Six, and um, that, you know, kept a lot of kids on the west side of the neighborhood, you know, going downtown even um, because they had to, you know, take a bus through it. But um, you know, there was there was a lot. There was a lot of community, a lot of uh, churches that were really heavy in the supporting of the families there. Um, you know, it was, uh, I was embraced right away from day one. I mean, I remember the elementary school I was at, Little Village Academy, uh, Miss Carmona, she was the uh, principal at the time. She, she let me use her own personal office in the school so I could meet with the kids because they didn't have space. You know, it was just a whole nother um, support system and and like the kids were first you know the you know the kids were front and center uh, a lot of decisions that were being made um, all the relationships I have there uh, with the organizations they're mostly you know st uh, youth-led you know they have a voice there so I think that's something big that I, I experienced uh, years ago that is still true today that was unique to some of the community, other communities that I, I, I might have been a part of. We, we both uh, worked in nonprofits for many years now, and well, most of the time, Rahm Emanuel was the mayor of Chicago. Now, uh, Lloyd Lightfoot is the mayor. So, what do you hope for the new mayor to do as far as, you know, youth in Chicago, as far as like her plan? What do you want her plan to be? You know, I, I have a lot of uh, hopes and expectations for our new mayor. Uh, she seems pretty down to earth. And uh, just some of the things that I've been following her that she, she's been doing, I think, have, have been uh, pretty, pretty good. I mean, they're setting the tone for more things to come. Um, but again, I'm not, uh, I don't get too much into uh, speaking my mind on politics. Uh, but... You know, I like to come from a more educated viewpoint before I do that. But just in general, what I'd like to see, based on the last mayor we had, um, there was a lot of programming that was supported, like One Summer Chicago, uh, other violence uh, coalitions and initiatives and things. Uh, but what I saw, what I feel was, wasn't done correctly was, you know, there was, it's one thing to, you know, provide a job for youth, but this One Summer Chicago program, uh, as many kids are enrolled and were able to get paid and, and stay out of trouble you know, through that summer program, it's not uh, a holistic approach. You know, there's, there's a few organizations that are involved that provide additional uh, resources, but it doesn't seem to involve enough. You know, there's social-emotional learning, there's life skills, there's access to new opportunities and education and family resources. And what these programs have been doing is working, you know, on the individual basis of these youth, but not including their families. 
um, providing the job but not helping them keep it. Um, giving them access to an opportunity but they can't stay with it because they have maybe uh, more need for a, a stable housing that's secure and safe where they can develop as a, as a young person then you know just be provided a you know an opportunity that they can't keep up with you know the demands of their life and the expectations and obligations that these young kids have um, they need more you know and I would like to see programs and, and funding come into the city that promote a more holistic approach because you know our last mayor was able to gather a lot of cool metrics and data but it was short-term, and when the resource is taken away, you know, young people go back to what they know. And you know, when I'm working with kids in the city, things are, you know, during the, you know, school hours, things are undone when they leave school or over the weekend because, you know, you have to put up your defenses, you have to, you have to live, you know, have to put on those masks, and it's not safe to keep them off and and learn and grow, right? So I would like to see more resources focused and, and something I, I see in, in, in Chicago, you know, Chicago is very well known for its segregation and it's um, the history of that and, and just how community by community, um, it's, it's very, uh, it's isolating and, and, and people are cut off from what's happening in the town over, whether it's gangs or, or what have you that separates it. But I think the big thing is there's lack of uh, collaboration. Um, there's a lack of collaboration through nonprofits. There's a lack of collaboration um, through, you know, one alderman to the next. Uh, it, it seems to be more cutthroat and more of a competition, you know. And, and I would like to have a leader like Lightfoot come in and have communities and, and collaborations and, 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 and organizations work together because everyone's fighting for the same uh, grant and there's not enough incentive for people to work together. So these communities that have an abundance of resources still have a, a, a huge issue with you know violence and, 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 and lack of resources even though all the resources are at their disposal no one's coming together you know no one is, is, is sharing ideas and stuff because everyone feels like they can't trust the next person maybe. Or maybe there's a history of, you know, organizations using one another to collect metrics and, and get access to new grants and then they forget that they were, you know, quote unquote partners in the whole thing. You know, so I would like to see uh, a mayor that kind of unifies people in that way and incentivizes, you know, uh, nonprofits to access money based on, you know, working together. All right. Thank you, Dan. So, um, let's finish off. You're in Auburn Gresham now. What's next for Dan? Um, what's next for me? You know, I've, I've had a passion project I've been working on. Um, and basically what I'd like to do in the next few years is, is start my own organization, my own foundation. And it'll consist of, you know, all the things that I think worked well that I've experienced over the years and I've heard my youth say they need and their families say they need. So I would like to have a place where you can be a part of a, a close-knit community 
and receive, you know, workforce development and access to jobs, life skills, social skills, uh, social emotional learning, housing, um, mental health services, you know, um, access to the trades. You know, I did some work at a, uh, a garage that uh, was a nonprofit that taught kids how to do mechanics and then would connect them to uh, their hiring partners that were in the automotive field or schools that taught that more. And there's a lack of access to trades. You know, most kids are told that they have to go to college to be successful. And from my own experience, you know, my education, my experiences, and, and the people I encounter along the way, yes, they, they led me to where I am now. But as far as credentials and education, I can do most of what I do now without all those fancy degrees and stuff. And that monumental debt that I, you know, acquired along the way that I'm, I'm just barely picking at the interest, right? So there's ways to be successful with a year or two dedicated to a trade, you know, with ongoing trainings and stuff. You know, and that's something that a lot of youth aren't given access to. So that's what's next for me. You know, I just started a new job um, that is, I mean, it's it's really nice. It's it's basically, a, it's a startup, it's an app, and it, the whole thing is kind of what I've been talking about. Their, vi their vision, their mission, their values is all about bringing people together to support one another and give access, you know, in a way that um, it u utilizes the, uh, spirit of volunteerism to uh, bring awareness to a cause or charity while um, directing donations to, uh, you know, your organization of choice through your service, right? So it's like a, a task service, you know, um, type of thing, but the mission is uh, bringing people together. It's rehumanizing people. It's, it's, it's encouraging people to share ideas. Uh, share services and, and give access to resources while while campaigning and and fundraising for you know worthwhile causes and genuine um, you know collaborations and uh, you know the app is called Task Friend and in the beginning stages is really great but um, I mean it, it it suits me because it's going to allow me to build relationships. And, and, and bring resources to, uh, you know, nonprofits across the city. Um, and that's, that's what I like doing. I like the human-to-human -human contact. And, you know, that's, uh, it's, it's something that's just uh, motivating me more to kind of stay on my path uh, to, to start something myself. And, you know, I, I've, I've, I've worked with, uh, you know, a handful of great organizations in Chicago. And, um, but I feel like with, with the type of person I am, um, things aren't going to be done the way I feel they need to be done unless I'm, I'm the guy making it happen, right? You know, there's amazing organizations that I'd love to be a part of right now. And, uh, everyone does something really well, but I, I would like to be a part of something that does many things very well, you know? The holistic approach is what I'm about. That is a task first. That's the name of the app. 
Task friend. Task friend. Task friend. Is that on iPhone, uh, Android? Uh, yes. <laughs> Task friend on. Task friend. On your, on your Android on your iPhone. Go to the Play Store. Go to the uh, App Store. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much for that, Dan. So now we're gonna transition to what I call always people's choice, but Dan gave me the choice for the people today. So. I'm going to, uh, what I want to talk about is just a time where you were, uh, you came at a crossroads in your life and then what you did to uh, just, just, you know, make a choice about what you want to be in life. I can start it off by talking about a choice I made. It was uh, actually, what, we're coming up on like the four year anniversary of when I did it. I, uh, I walked into my job and just quit because, you know, I just, it was, I had been there for about four years and it was just, you know, I didn't, I didn't like my boss and I just didn't want to be there anymore. So I spent a good six months, I mean, I'm trying to think, it was, it was about five months unemployed. Then I got another job and I still didn't know what I was going to do. I was, I was lucky I was making more money, but still, I didn't know what I was going to do. And then one day I was driving down the road, you know, and I heard a salon song, Cranes in the Sky, and, that's, and I had to pull over, and, and I cried. And that was the first time I cried in about five years. Like, I have been to funerals in that time, and I didn't cry. Because yeah. I just didn't have the emotion in me. And then that's when I cried. And that's when I knew, you know, I had to stop, you know, feeling sorry for myself. and Stop, you know, I had to stop, you know, thinking that I couldn't do something and know that I could do something. And that's when I went back to school. That's when I got my master's. That's when I applied for my Ph.D. program. And that's why I'm talking to you right now because... <laughs> I, I let that all that, so there was a lot of negative energy that I had in me, and I decided just to let it go and just say, I don't want to be negative. I want to be positive, and I decided to be positive. I made that choice for myself. So with, with all that rambling aside, was there any time in your life where you felt like, okay, you know, what is going on right now is not working, and I need to, I need to take control of my life? Yeah, you know, um, I'll tell two quick stories because there's two moments in my life. One was 10 years ago, and it was towards the end of my undergrad. You know, I've been involved in all that volunteering and, and, and the, the caregiver job and, and high school football coach, and I had a couple part-time jobs and full-time students. So there's all this stuff happening. I, I, I don't know how, you know, I did it or, you know, people like, you know, me went through school with all that stuff happening. But, uh, you know, it was the beginning of my last trimester, and I got, uh, like, deathly ill. You know, um, I ended up going to bed with a headache on a Tuesday, and I was in intensive care by Sunday. You know, my, my body was shutting down. I was jaundiced. Uh, all my organs were inflamed. I had excruciating pain. Uh, I was packed in blankets, packed in ice because my temperature wasn't regulated. My white blood cells kind of took a vacation. I, my immune system was gone. And um, doctors didn't know what to do with me. You know, I was quarantined. Um, I fit 
symptoms of a lot of uh, crazy illnesses. And after so many weeks in the hospital, I uh, ended up recovering after, you know, the third day being there, they said people don't recover from these numbers. So here I am, 22 and a half or so years old, uh, expecting I'm going to die. So when I, when I walked out of there, I had a new sense of life, uh, you know, everything tasted better, smelled better, you know, um, and I had this open heart and mind to the world and things around me. And that's when I, you know, I soon after, as five months later, I started my career. So I had this newfound drive to, to make an impact on the world and, and, and use use um, my experience and, and that motivation to, to make an impact, right? And then the other thing that happened was, you know, about six, seven months ago, you know, I, I was coming off of a, a really great role with uh, an organization I thought was going to be my, my main thing. And upon looking under the surface, you know, I saw the ugliness of, of what it really was. But I was uh, working for the last couple years, seven days a week. You know, I was working about 80 hours a week. And everything that I had going on in my life, personal, um, all the things I've ignored, all the things I needed to do for myself and um, relationships in my, 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 my life, you know, were just put on the back burner. And I told myself that I was doing all these things for a good reason, and I was. But, you know, instead of self-care, I was staying up late on the phone with a kid or meeting up, you know, someone to help them get a venture pass or, you know. So they were, you know, good things that I was doing, but I, I didn't understand what self-care was. And um, my identity and... My purpose was all wrapped up in youth work. So when that abruptly ended back in September for me, I was kind of lost. And I've been fighting depression for most of my life. And knowing that I had depression probably following that illness and never really seeking out help. And I'm really good at telling people what they sh could do for themselves or better things for themselves but not taking my own advice and a lot of people in service are, are at fault for that and it, I had to lose everything you know all the jobs and and a new life I had lined up all abruptly ended everything fell through and my depression overtook me and I wasn't able to function I was in bed for for months you know I put on a show to you know go to the family Christmas or whatever and um, but I did I was lost you know and I had the love of an amazing person in my life uh, that taught me how to love myself and I had some really great human beings in my life that were there for me but ultimately it was my choice right I, I chose to hide you know, my phone was cut off, so I didn't have access to people, or people didn't have access to me. I didn't tell anybody that I needed help, and that's what would have brought me out of things sooner. And I had to sit with that and, and learn. 
on my own terms how to love myself and how to accept help. Be vulnerable, um, especially when I've been so used to wearing a certain mask or have a certain image that I was afraid to lose. And I had so much wrapped in what other people thought of me. Being the person that had their shit together, have, you know, all these things going for them. And and that's usually what people say, you know, when you when you have a friend that seems like everything's going right, they're probably the one that needs the hug the most. And that was so true. And uh, so it was one of the most. It was the most difficult time of my life because I had it was it was an emotional thing. It was a mental um, thing that I had to overcome to accept the love and care and support of another human being, to be completely vulnerable, to not be able to provide for myself and rebuild myself really. So I got into therapy uh, end of last year in December. And that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. You know, my therapist, uh, I'll drop his name, Marcellus, man, he, uh, halfway through my first session with him, I wanted to stop because I didn't want to be his client. I want to be this guy's friend. I wanted to go out for a drink with the guy and have a cigar. <laughs> it was just an amazing down-to-earth human being, and his approach to everything was, was amazing. And uh, to to be my first session, my first therapist I've ever been to, to have that type of connection is is a million, I think. And uh, I was blessed for that. And uh, I did a lot of research on him, though, because that was one way to avoid having to go to therapy was all this research and stuff that I was doing. And uh, it just worked out. You know, his office is in Hyde Park, and he, he's up in uh, off of the Lawrence Red Line stop also. And uh so he, uh, he's just been a, a big person in my life uh, that's helping me redefine who I am. And in that process, I've had to reintroduce myself to people, my own family. You know, one by one, I'm, I'm meeting up with my siblings, just uh, sharing what I, I have going on in my life. Because the way I was brought up and the things I value and, and honor today are a little bit different. And there's a lot of guilt and shame around that, but I need to be okay with who I am, you know, and just, uh, and that's been, that's been a great journey. And um, it's been a, a good handful of months now where I've been in a, a good mindset and getting back out there and I was hitting, you know, the job, uh, job applications and everything. And uh, I fell into what I am doing today. So those were the two moments, you know, I had a, I had a, you know, almost lose my life physically, and then, um, you know, I had that emotional kind of breakdown uh, to rebuild myself. So it was a blessing in disguise, because I would never have taken care of myself if I hadn't lost everything, you know. I would have just kept on working 10, 12-hour days every day, so. Thank you so much for that, Daniel. I hope that anybody who listens to this, I hope these stories inspire you, and if you need to get help, just get help. It's, it's no shame in it. We all get, I get help. Dan's talked about how you got help. Everybody needs help. We're, we're all human. So please go out there. If you need help, get it. Ask anybody. Hey, you can you can uh, message me once I post this on SoundCloud, and 
I might not be able to help you, but I can find someone who can. The same here. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as always, as always, when I end this show, I always ask my guests, "Can you give me the last book you read, the last movie you watched, and the last song you listened to?" <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so the last uh, book that I read is. Um, you know, I'm, I gotta look at the title. It's uh, uh <laughs> <laughs> right. we were waiting on Dan to go grab the book, and we'll <laughs> give us the title. Yeah, you put me on the spot with this. It's Exit West um, by uh, Mohsin Hamid. That's uh, kind of a love story and and missed uh, war and everything. So kind of a heavy read, but uh, I'm a hopeless romantic, and uh, and I'm getting into Pedagogy of the Oppressed right now. So that's the book I'm currently on. Yeah, I hope you read this class. That was a good class, man. Um, the last uh, song I listened to was uh, Nas, Just a Moment. <laughs> and then uh, what was it the night the last movie I watched? Yeah. Um, I tempted a movie last night was just awful. Um, the last full movie I watched. Um. Uh, I watched uh, Robin Hood, the new one with Jamie Foxx. Oh. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> I, I can feel that. Yeah, I don't recommend, you know, spending the two hours on it. <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, all right, so thank you, thank you, Dan, for joining me this week. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, and as always, to my listeners, you can catch this on SoundCloud. And lucky that my... My podcast has been accepted by Apple Podcasts, so you can catch it on uh, iTunes, Apple, wherever they do their podcast now. And as always, be good and drink your water. Peace. This is just a moment dedicated to my mother, my grandmother, my father, all my niggas in the pen, all my niggas that died in the struggle. Love y'all. Can we please have a moment of silence? Silence. That's for my niggas doing years of confinement And for my soldiers that passed over No longer living that couldn't run Whenever the reaper came to get them Can we please pour out some liquor? Some liquor, some liquor. Symbolizing this, take your time and to consider that Though our gloves ain't here, the love is here And we gon' rep till slugs kill us here This for my dogs, stuck in the struggle Trying to gain, smoking trauma, sniffing rhyme While selling cocaine, trapped in the game Not knowing how to stop and get by They live it alive, so instead they live it to die And can we please have a moment of peace?